Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 76th program in this series. I'm presently in John chapter 14. In the previous message, I was in John chapter 14, verse 6, but beginning in verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in the previous program, I was explaining that the real issue is that you know the person, that it is the person who is the way. The way to eternal life, the way to the kingdom of heaven, this way has to do with knowing the person of our God. And the person of our God, our God has revealed himself as the Father, as the Son, as the Holy Spirit. These are ways for us to understand who he is. But the objective that we need to keep in mind is that we are to know the person. It's not just about the idea of how is it that we are going to get to heaven. This is important. It has its importance. How do we get to heaven? Well, our God has defined the specific way in which we are able to be a part of his kingdom, to be in his home. He has defined that. He gets to define that. And he has asserted that he is the way. So if you want to be a part of his kingdom, if you want to be in his home, you're going to have to get through him. And so it is necessary for you to know him and for him to know you. So when Jesus asserted this, he does, of course, define exclusivity. He defines the fact that there is no other way besides him, besides his gospel, besides the covenant that he has presented to humanity. There certainly will be no other way to have eternal life with God outside of this. This is clear, but don't lose sight of the importance of recognizing that this is about you knowing him as a person. Continuing into verse 7, Jesus continues and he says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And then I'm going to pause there and complete the rest of this verse in just a moment. But you need to pay attention to the magnitude, the importance of this first phrase of what he says in verse 7 to Thomas. He says, if you had known me. Well, now, what does that mean? If you would have known me, if you had known me, what does that mean? Thomas has been around Jesus for a long time. You would think that Thomas would know Jesus by now. But it turns out that just because Thomas spent so much personal time with Jesus in the flesh, that doesn't mean that 
Thomas really knows Jesus. That just means that he's been within close proximity. But he could do that and still not really pay attention to who Jesus really is. This is not unusual. It's easy for this to take place. You could probably relate to this and be able to identify some people who are close to you, who are in your life, who probably have no idea who you really are at all. And they probably don't want to know. They don't care to know who you are. So do you really think that if a person goes into God's home, that somehow then they are going to know who he is because they're physically present there? Look at this example. This is a fantastic example to understand the significance of knowing the person, that Thomas himself has been around Jesus all this time, and Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. It's a way of saying, you know what, Thomas, clearly, you don't really know me. And in saying this, if you would have known me, you would have known the father. He is asserting to Thomas that he is the father, that he is God. Thomas, I've been with you all this time, and you still don't get it. And you might wonder, well, gosh, couldn't he have just said a little bit more? Couldn't he have shown them a little bit more of the glory of God so that there would be no question, no uncertainty? And the answer is, he did this on purpose. His purpose was to show just enough that people could choose to believe that that's who he is or they could choose to reject him because he wants a certain kind of person. He wants a person who will see him because they genuinely want to know the truth. They really want to know the way. They really want to be made alive. He's looking for people who have a genuine heart about their desire to know their God. So he must leave room for people who don't really have that genuine desire, that real conviction, that real interest. He must leave them a way of escape, a way out. So this is how he did it. He left just enough room that there could be just enough uncertainty, just enough opportunity for confusion, maybe, just enough that people could say, well, we don't have absolute proof, absolute evidence, absolute certainty. There's still just that little bit left over that is going to hold us back Folks, he gives just enough like that so that people can decide if they don't want to know their God, if they don't want to have a personal relationship with him, just enough that they have a way of escape in their own minds. But from God's point of view, he will be able to say, no, I gave you just enough. I gave you more than enough, and you decided to turn away from the way, the truth, and the life, which is me. And that's the emphasis of the second part of this verse, verse 7, where Jesus said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, 
You know him and have seen him. He tells him from now on, now on, if you will believe what I am saying now, then from now on, you know him and have seen him from now on. Will this be the moment that you believe? And it turns out it does not necessarily appear to be the case. But that was an invitation. That was an opportunity. From now on, you know him if if you will recognize that I am he. And you will have seen him if you will recognize that I am he. Jesus is not going to be able to say this about anybody else in the sense that Jesus is not going to be able to say, well, so-and-so over there is who I have known. So-and-so over there is who I have seen, so I have seen the Father. I know the Father. I have seen the Father because I saw that person. Jesus is not going to be able to point to anyone in the history of humanity that he would be able to say that about. But he states that he is the one who everyone can say that about. And he's starting with his disciples. He's saying, look, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have known me, you have known the Father. If you want to say that this has not been made clear previously, that's fine. From now on, how about now? How about today? From now on, we can move forward with this. This is a way of Jesus asserting that he is the Father. He is God. Will you know the person? And a person could think something such as, well, if God is there as Jesus, in Jesus, then he wouldn't be in heaven. Well, he can be in both places at the same time. He can be in multiple places at the same time. He's not like one of us. He is not the created. He is the creator. He is the one who defines all reality. So, of course, he can do that. And if, for some chance, he is not in the kingdom of heaven, and the fullness of all that he really is, is right there in that person, well, then the kingdom of heaven has been vacated. He has evacuated the kingdom of heaven. And so, if this is the case, if we just speculate on this kind of an idea, then God is right there. That's where he is. And so, the kingdom of heaven is right where he is. You know, the kingdom of heaven is not really going to be the kingdom of heaven without the king, without God. It's just going to be some empty place. Maybe there will be some other people there, some angels there, but they're going to feel alone very soon without the king being there. And so this is a way to understand through an exaggeration that the real issue is who is the person? Do you know the person? If you know the person, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where he is. If you are together, you are together. If he evacuates the kingdom of heaven, he's going to go somewhere else and then that will be the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is where the king is. And there will never be any other. There will never be any other king. And there will never be any other kingdom. So, Philip speaks up. 
in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Now, Jesus just said, if you have known me, you have known the Father. And so if you'll believe that, then from now on you will have seen him. He just said that. And Philip's response is, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Which means that Philip says, I want to see more. Show me more. But this is it. This is what you get. And God has decided that this is enough. Jesus said to him, verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? So Philip says, show us the Father, and Jesus responds with, I have been with you for so long, and you still don't know that it's me? You still don't get it? So he goes back and says, I'm going to give you just enough. Come on, I want you to see me. Because you want to know the truth. If he shows Philip the fullness of his glory, or enough glory such that Philip could withstand it, if he shows him that, there won't be any choice. There won't be any decision to be made. It will become a form of force. God will force Philip to believe who he is. He will force Philip to embrace him for who he is, because it will be so undeniable that there won't be any choice. This is not how God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to have just enough opportunity to turn away. We can turn away, but no, we can see it really is him. So Jesus continues and he says, He who has seen me, has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? I love this question. How can you even say this, Philip? How can you say this? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Come on, Philip. How can you even say this? How can you even consider to ask a question related to this? Come on, Philip. Here I am. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Because it's me. And that's how Jesus responds. He says, how can you even say such a thing? After all that he's done, after all that he's revealed, after all that he's already said, come on, Philip, how can you even say this? How can you even do this to me? So he goes on. All right, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Will you at least look at the evidence, think about the evidence. Think about the things that I've done. Think about the things that I've said. Come on, Philip. Come on, believe. There is enough for you to believe. If Jesus just outright says it, I am the Father. Don't you get it? If he says that, if he asserts that, he takes away 
their opportunity to choose. He takes away their opportunity to believe. He takes away their opportunity to be the person who turns to God because they want to. He will take away the chance for them to be the person who has a relationship with him because they want to. If he takes away all uncertainty, then it becomes a way of force. He takes away choice. He takes away decision. He will diminish the relationship that we can truly have with him. He wants a people who will be in his life because they want to be. And if you want to be in his life, he will show you just enough evidence so that you can make a reasoned decision by yourself. Or if you choose to reject him, you will do so knowing that he gave just enough, maybe a little bit more. He gave enough for you to decide to reject him, but you will do so with the full knowledge, with the full understanding that you are the one who has chosen to reject your God. This is what God did. This is what he established. This is why he did what he did, why he revealed himself in the way that he revealed himself. And what he gets in the end will be a group of people who he will want to be with for eternity. Continuing into verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Now, this is the introduction to a new topic, and I will explore this more in the next program. A new topic of What is our life really going to be like when we are in Christ Jesus, when we are saved? This introduces a new subject, and that has to do with our relationship with him, and to what degree are we going to be participants in the work that he is doing. Now, in verse 12, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Well, we do have a list of the kinds of works that he did. He certainly healed people who were in need. He helped people who were in need. He spoke the truth. There were a lot of things that he did. And so when he says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. This is a way of saying that those who believe in Jesus will possibly, probably, they will absolutely do those same things that Jesus did. Well, now we do have some testimonies that have been presented throughout history where people have testified that they have experienced or they have done things that are similar to what Jesus did when he was conducting his ministry. But this certainly is not all people. So we cannot say with an absolute sense that everyone, every person, who believes in Jesus, are going to do every single work that Jesus did also. We're not going to be able to say that, because that certainly is not the historical record. And we also do not want to struggle with this topic of belief, where he says, He who believes in me. 
because we could make this a qualification and say, well, if you do not do all of those works that Jesus did, then this is a way of saying that you do not believe in him. So we need to see these miracles in your life that Jesus did. Otherwise, we're going to say that you are not a true believer. Because if you really did believe, well, then we would see these things. And there are people who have proclaimed this theology, who have taught this theology. There are people who have said this to a lot of people, and some people would like to believe this. This is a struggle within the church, within the history of the church. I, of course, reject this idea. I don't think that's what he was intending to say at all. I don't think that he was intending to say that we will know if you are a true believer, if we see that you heal those who are sick and maybe even resurrect the dead. As an example. And if you don't, well, then you don't qualify as a believer. I really don't think that that is what he was intending to say in verse 12, where he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. I don't see this as a condition, and I don't see this in the context of the absolute. This is just simply a way of saying, there will be people who believe in me, who will do things that I have done. And his purpose in saying this is to say, look, we are not done yet. Jesus is going to go away. But this is not the end. This is a beginning. And it is an important beginning. Especially when he says, and greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father. Obviously, there is more to come. Obviously, there is more to experience here. Greater works. Much greater. So, Jesus is going to leave. And his disciples are going to do greater works than what he did? How could that be, you might wonder? How could that be? Well, I can think of one example that definitely fits into this category. At no time during Jesus' ministry was anyone saved. At no time was anyone resurrected from the dead spiritually. No one received the Holy Spirit. No one was made spiritually alive. No one experienced the forgiveness of God in the way that it would be presented to people when Jesus died on the cross, there will definitely be a difference between the time when Jesus was conducting his ministry and doing his works and the time when we live in the new covenant. When we participate in people believing in their God, believing in Jesus, believing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when these people are resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and we participate in that through testifying of the truth, that will definitely be a greater work than any work that Jesus did while he was conducting his ministry. And I have presented this to a lot of people. And it is not unusual for people to look at me, to respond to me, 
as if what I said is absurd. How could anything that we may participate in be greater than what Jesus did? Look at all of the things that he did. But that's what he said. He said greater works than these. When I say that there is no greater work than the resurrection of a person through being born again by the Spirit of God, when I find that people are not very impressed by that, it's generally because they have no idea what that means. They have no concept of what it means to really be made spiritually alive. They don't know what it means to have their God dwelling within them, guiding them and leading them into all truth. They have no idea what it really means to have their heart healed through the forgiveness of God in ways that include forgiving others with the forgiveness that they have received, loving others with the love that they have received from their God. They just simply don't know in general. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 76th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 14, verses 7 through 12. And in this passage, Jesus explains to his disciples that he is the living God, that he is the Father. He gives them enough words. He describes this in a way that there is enough for them to see that he is telling the truth, that he is God manifested in the flesh. But he says this in a way that if they really don't want to believe it, he gives them a way to decide otherwise because of the way that he said it. And the reason why he said it this way was because he wants his disciples to turn to him and to believe in him and to trust in him and to have a relationship with him because they want to, not because it is so obvious that that's who he is through the manifestation of his glory that they don't have a choice. In this way, he ensures that he is not forcing them to have a relationship with him. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net